and weaknesses? Um, ice cream and really cold weather. Hey, podcast listener, you're listening to the Semi Pro Cycling Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss all the issues that cyclists talk about. Whether you're out training, commuting, or just riding around, sit down and listen in because we're about to begin. I got something to say, man. Yo, welcome to episode 116 of the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, where we believe that only a semi-pro cyclist rides for love and not money. If you stick around to the end, I'll fill you in on the quote from the top of the show and let you know who doesn't like ice cream and really cold weather. Hey there, semi-pros. My name is Damien Roos. I'm the founder of Semi-Pro Cycling, home of the Semi-Pro Cyclist, and you can find this episode at semiprocycling.com forward slash teamwork wins races. And yes, we are going to start with a review today, but I've got to warn you, it is a long one. Best cycling training podcast on iTunes, period. Five stars by Andrew Vonce from the US. I'm a licensed cycling coach and a certified personal trainer who has been riding for 26 years and has written about cycling, training and human performance as part of my career as a journalist for 15 years. Hands down, Damien Roos's Semi-Pro Cycling is the premier podcast on cycling training and one of the best sources of training information on the entire internet. Whatever level you're at, if you are serious about learning everything you need to know to perform better mentally and physically as a cyclist, listening to this podcast is a must. Damien provides current actionable information drawing from both exercise physiology and best practices from the top races, coaches and experts in the training game and he does it in an exceptionally entertaining, engaging format. Information so good it's hard to believe it's available for free. Thanks for putting this out, Damien. Wow, Andrew, I really appreciate you writing those words and definitely it's incredibly humbling when somebody of your experiences compliments what I'm doing. I really appreciate it. And if you do like this show, I would love a review on either iTunes or Stitcher because five stars makes me really, 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 really want a three-legged dog. Thank you very much. Now, the performance probe this week and probe number one is a study called caffeinated nitric oxide releasing lozenger improves cycling time trial performance boosting nitric oxide production during exercise by various means has been found to improve exercise performance they investigated the effects of a nitric oxide releasing lozenger with added caffeine of 70 milligrams on oxygen consumption during steady state exercise and cycling time trial performance using a double-blinded randomized crossover experimental design 15 moderately trained cyclists 7 females and 8 males were randomly assigned to ingest the caffeinated nitric oxide lozenger or placebo five minutes before exercise. Oxygen consumption and blood lactate were assessed at rest and at 50, 65 and 75% of maximal oxygen consumption. Exercise performance was assessed by time to complete a simulated 20.15 kilometer cycling time trial course. So, no significant treatment effects for oxygen consumption or blood lactate at rest or during steady state exercise were observed. However, 
Time trial performance was improved by 2.1% when participants consumed the nitric oxide lozenger compared to the placebo and without a significant difference in rating of perceived exertion. So these results suggest that acute supplementation with a caffeinated nitric oxide releasing lozenger may be practical and effective means of improving aerobic exercise performance. Now, I don't know how aware you are of the product that's mentioned in this study. I will link to it in the show notes, but basically, the promise is exactly the same as consuming nitrates from beets. So instead, they have just changed the delivery to a lozenger and thrown in some caffeine for good measure. I'll read out a little bit of information from the website of the manufacturer of this product. It helps boost the efficiency of the body's nitrate pathway so that more nitric oxide is available when and where it's needed. Each lozenger contains 420 milligrams of our patented nitric oxide blend with added vitamin C and B12, and they say it's had clinical research that supports the effectiveness. So, apparently it helps relax the arteries and improve blood circulation, thus regulating healthy blood pressure and increasing nutrient and oxygen delivery to every system, organ and tissue in the body, where nitric oxide helps to regulate blood flow to the cells and ensure nutrient absorption. It also provides immune support. So, they're kind of the health benefits, but the area of actually improving oxygen delivery to every system is the area that is supposed to give the performance benefit. For me, I'm not personally sold on it yet, but I guess studies like this are going to start reinforcing their claims. Still, I'm not going to be trying it out soon though. Our second probe today, Kiwakowski's power reveals strategy, audacity behind victory. You would have seen this article on the web if you have any interest in power numbers. This is a breakdown of the 2014 World Champions Power File. It's really fascinating to me, and I wanted to dig into it a little bit, and if you are a power guy like me, you are going to love it. The 2014 World Championship came down to the last 10 minutes, and It was won with a daring breakaway in the final kilometers. So what were the numbers surrounding this? Because the 24-year-old rider from Poland bridged to the breakaway, then attacked out of that break to hold off a charging group containing many of the day's favorites with the right mix of tactics and talent. He was able to produce an amazing ride. So for the first six hours and 20 minutes... These are his numbers. Normalized power, 306 watts. Average power, 3.54 watts per kilogram. Peak one hour power, 300 watts. Average heart rate, 148 beats per minute. And 5,490 calories burnt. So low, low, low. He was super protected by his team. His team did a lot of work. And those numbers... They're not very high. Anyone in that bunch could have sat in for that stuff. But it definitely shows that he was a protected rider and he was saving it for something towards the end. So when it came down to the actual winning moves, there were a couple of them. And the first one started with seven kilometers to go and a group of four riders off the front. And he set off what would eventually be his winning move. For 36 seconds, he averaged 436 watts or 6.43 watts per kilogram. His peak power during this first burst was 928 watts. His average heart rate shot up slightly from his average for the first five hours to 161 beats per minute. 
Remember this number because we'll come back to this in his second attack and his finishing numbers. He was able to average 53 kilometers to reach the group and his average cadence was 83 revs per minute. So these are pretty impressive numbers, especially at the end of such a long race. But he got to the group... He waited around for a very short time, for less than a minute, before he went off again. And then his second attack was three minutes long, where his peak wattage occurred one minute into the attack at 706 watts. He held a normalized power of 501 watts for the entire attack. His watts per kilogram for the attack, 7.02 watts per kilogram. And his average heart rate, 179 beats per minute. So it jumped up nearly 20 beats per minute for this second attack. And so did his cadence. His cadence went up 10 RPMs for the second attack. So then it comes down to the final push. And in the final stretch, he was being chased by the group of contenders that wanted to catch him on the line. But he was able to coast for the last few metres. The last 1.7 kilometres were not a procession for an eventual winner. Definitely, he had to put it in right until that very end, until that beautiful, graceful moment with his hands in the air. So for the last 1.7 kilometres, he held an average power of 415 watts. He held an average speed of nearly 60 kilometres an hour. His average heart rate was 179, so staying at that same rate. And his average cadence was 100. 102, so it went up another 10 RPMs, which means he was really, really putting it in, and he had it in him to put it in right to the finish line. If we go over his overall numbers from the day, peak 1-minute power, 552 watts, peak 20-minute power, 336 watts, that is so low. He's a rider of maybe 67, 68 kilograms or so. That is super low. Your average cat two rider in the US can pull that off. So it goes to show that it is endurance and shorter power that actually got him to the line. His peak one hour power was 300 watts, so he's not doing any Tony Martin moves. His top speed was 86 kilometers down the crazy descent. His peak heart rate was 105 beats per minute. He would have done that in one of the final attacks. His top cadence was 128 RPM, which I don't know where he did that either, but it would have been one of those big attacks, maybe the explosive second move. And total calories burnt, 5,670 kilojoules. So he ramped it up at the end, and it really, like I said, it was his 5 to 10 minute power that was the most valuable after being protected all day. But of course, it was his bravery that was his biggest output of the day, netting him the rainbow jersey, the biggest of them all. Alrighty, the nuts and bolts for this week, and teamwork wins races with Nick Tragis from Team Horizon Organic Einstein Brothers. Colby Pierce said it best when he told Nick Tragis, bike racing is a team sport where an individual wins. And putting together a team is no easy feat. Imagine going for a job where you don't get paid and you're expected to work 80 hours a week or more. It sounds pretty hard to sell, right? It sounds pretty hard to actually recruit people into this job. But as it happens, the supply is greater for demand when it comes to talented bike racers. So it becomes much more about how much of a team player you are and 
also your ability to work for the team's goals off the bike as well. And the challenge for a team director then is how to create an environment where the team comes first, even if you are a star rider winning races and you have to sacrifice for the team first. It's actually a winning formula which has led Team Horizon Organic Einstein Brothers to being the top amateur team in the US as well as in the top 10 of all US domestic teams so this is not an achievement to be taken lightly and it's being driven by Nick Tragus and his vision of what a race team should look like He's a super smart cat, and I was really, really lucky to be able to catch up with him to talk about choosing team members, finding mentors, and pleasing sponsors. His approach is unique because it comes from a solid business background, and he's using his business principles to guide this entire process. And if you're a rider looking for a team or you're wanting to brand yourself, also keep listening because Nick also has some great advice for you too. So the hashtag teamwork in races is Horizon Organic Einstein Brothers mantra. And after digging a little bit deeper into the team and into your role in the team, this idea is behind pretty much everything you do. And from the outside, your take on building a team is balanced and strategic and putting the team and sponsors a definite close second, although it could be argued that they could be part of the team or team members themselves. You play the long ball in all of your decisions choosing good management and strategic leadership over empty promises and weak value propositions. And you've stated that your role in the team is to pull it all together, mostly with communications and the financial aspect of the team. But to me, it's much more than this. It's developing and communicating the strategic vision for the team. So first up, what is this strategic vision for the team? Sure. No, that's a great question. And I guess I should uh, say I appreciate your summary because uh, you've, you've uh, put it together better than maybe I have in the past. So I might have to use that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so really, like you said, the whole idea is you start with the very biggest picture and you kind of work your way down from there. Because if you don't have a, a strategy or even a mission, kind of all the decisions you're making are a little bit aimless. And I kind of learned that from leading startups and, and tech companies and have been trying to apply it to sport. So in our case, um, when we got together, and, and, and the mission can change and evolve, I guess I should add, and it has in our case. So four years ago when I started this team with uh, Colby Pierce and uh, Don Powell, um, the, really the mission was a little more simple. It was, hey, we want to take a team and teach kind of U23 collegiate age riders how to be better bike racers and maybe mentor them a little bit off the bike and teach them to be better guys, if you will. And so we took a, a collection of riders here in Colorado and uh, most of them uh, racing for the local university and took them under our wing and kind of taught them how to win bike races at a higher level and had really, really good success with it to the point that we had riders that were ready to move on to the kind of the, the pro the pro team level, continental level, if you will. Um, and kind of around that time, a few years ago, if you remember, the pro teams were starting to fold. There's uh, uh, far fewer teams in, in North America, at least, than there were um, five years ago. And I think the same could be said for many parts of the world. And so realizing that, I kind of got the motivation to grow the team with the riders and, and kind of maintain the development focus, but do it at a higher level. So maybe before the goal was to uh, grow riders to get on a continental team. Well, now the team, the goal is to grow the team to the continental level where we can groom riders and put them at a higher level. 
Um, if you saw Optum just graduated Carter Jones to the to the giant uh, world world tour team, and and ideally we'd be doing something like that. Um, if you see uh, Hincapi Devo, maybe is a good example of our aspiration. Where we're racing in the biggest races in North America, uh, U.S. Pro Challenge, Tour of Utah, Tour of California, um, but really still focused on younger or newer riders to the sport and, and teaching them how to ride. Because in the end, that's that's what really gets me off. Like winning races is is pretty straightforward once you've done it for a while. Like I kind of know that template. Now it's how do we kind of make better people at the same time? And if you can do both, well, then you're then you're really winning. So that's that's really where I kind of drive all my decisions from. Here's the interesting thing, though, because the idea I get from your team and your leadership is that team is first, team culture is first, and everything is kind of built around that. But you're in some ways talking about stepping up levels, but can a team as a group do that i'm sure most of the teams that are doing this are driven by one team you mentioned names like carter jones you know driving a team and getting good results at spearheading a team but you try not to identify or individualize any single riders in your team how does that work when you're trying to move up in the different levels oh that's a good question yeah it well it starts with like you said kind of that culture of teamwork and really if you think of kind of riders that are riding in those support roles and anyone that knows a little bit about cycling knows that there's a couple team leaders and the rest of the team is all in for those riders results. It's a cycling is a sport where it's a team sport where an individual wins, which makes it kind of unique. So what you have to do is you need to create an atmosphere where the riders want to ride for that team leader. And that's different than having to ride or feeling obligated to ride for that team leader. So there's many teams from from all levels of the sport, from continental all the way to the world tour, where everyone's paid to ride for a certain rider and they do it because it's their job. And that's, that happens in corporate America, that happens in sport. Um, You see it all the time. And really the difference in what I push really hard for is to get a group of guys together that want to ride for that person and and you don't have to be the closest of friends but you definitely have to have respect and you have to be excited when you see that rider get a result and that that starts with kind of the riders that you bring into the organization and then the the culture that you portray from the leadership down to those riders and if you do that right whether everyone's racing for free and fixing their own bikes or everyone's making 40 grand a year or 400 grand a year if you do that right you can maintain that culture all the way to the top of the sport in my opinion so you ultimately believe that if you just keep this team unit together then Maybe it's not going to be one individual that will get results, but there's potential for everybody to pull together at the right time for someone to get results. Absolutely. I mean, every every rider has strengths and weaknesses, and every race is a little bit different. So, yes, there's going to be riders on the team that get the opportunity to win more than others, be it because they're a good sprinter or they're the best at the top of a hill or whatever it is. So some riders will get more opportunity. But if you're racing, and especially in a program like ours where we still do some local racing in addition to the national level races, on our team, every one of our riders can win a local race every every time. And so we definitely try to mix that up. Um, and then for the bigger races, yeah, you're still going to ride for your team leaders, but everyone kind of have an opportunity. And again, if you create the right culture, the team leaders want to have the opportunity to ride for those other guys and pay them back. There's, there's no one on my team that feels entitled to win every race that they enter. Um, they all came from a culture of being a domestique on maybe a larger organization before coming to ours or being really good friends with some of the riders on the team. The guys need to want to do that for each other. 
Yeah, so getting behind the process of actually putting the team together then, there's a couple of interesting points that I pull out from everything that I've read of how you structure the team and things. And the first one is that every new rider that you interview, you talk to extensively about attitude and culture and their fit rather than their race results or power numbers, which is the first idea. And then the second one is that every single rider that you look at or is in the team has had some connection before actually getting into the team, whether it's through a coach or another rider, then you will approach them. You haven't actually selected anybody that has cold approached you. So I guess that's heavy filtering on the front end, trying to actually suss out a person long before they get to the team. But can you talk about this process in a bit more detail? Sure. And I guess to start with, it's really anyone that's run any type of organization, this is kind of interviewing and recruiting skills 101. I mean, this is how any HR person would train you to do it, is you, you do a thorough set of interviews and you, and you rely on good references. And that's kind of the fundamentals, whether you're hiring a, uh, a, someone from a temp agency to uh, help you at your, at your place of work or hiring a pro bike racer. Um, and so... A couple things. And the first is there's a lot of talented riders out there. And so looking at power files and Strava results and things like that, that's all fine and good. But I mean, I can find a hundred riders that want to ride for my team that have really good threshold numbers and have the potential to win a lot of races. That's, that's kind of easy. There's a lot of talent out there. The, the harder part in my experience is, is really, again, people that fit in that culture. And like you said, really what I'm interviewing for and what I'm checking references for is not so much are they a fast bike rider or not, because that's easy to check, right? You just go look at their race results and maybe their time's up a couple of climbs, whatever it is. But are they going to fit in with the rest of the guys? And, and maybe even more importantly, are they going to fit in with me? And that's, that's really where the interview process comes in, is talking to these riders and just kind of talking to them about life in general and their theory and their goals and, and kind of that gut feeling after talking to him, hey, do I get along with this guy? Is this someone I could spend two weeks on the road without a time and not want to kill him at the end of that? And would they want to kill me, right? Or they, can they kind of handle my style? And there's, there's not really a right or wrong answer in terms of one way is better than the other. It's really what's the fit for, for, for you as the, as the director or kind of the culture that you're trying to put together with that team. And that's, that's primarily what I'm looking for when I talk to these guys. And then Obviously, you can only talk to someone so much, especially if you haven't met them before. So using your network to kind of get a, a sanity check on that gut feeling is really, really important. So that's either talking to their coaches or their uh, directors, either current or former, or uh, maybe previous teammates. And just, hey, is this guy, is this someone you want to travel with? Is this someone you'd want to have back on your team? One thing that I find kind of interesting, just kind of talking that through, is I'm surprised more teams don't talk to the directors at other teams. Like I know if I was going to hire someone in the corporate world, I would talk to their former employees, their former boss and say, Hey, what did you think of this person? But cycling, because everyone kind of comes from this competitive atmosphere, very rarely do directors call other directors and ask them for their take on a rider, at least not as often as I would, uh, would have hoped. Like I've only been called by one director um, this this kind of off-season about a rider, and I can tell you that I know several of my riders are being recruited by other teams. So I find it kind of intriguing that uh, directors don't do that more often because it seems like something that would be super critical. Um, and I definitely try to push that on, on uh, when I'm talking to other riders. It seems like your depth in, in going into researching things is, is just good business generally. But you did raise an interesting point as far as that you like to go for bike rides with them and you 
have to understand whether they're going to travel well and, and you'll get on because there's the classic idea after the interview process in a company or whatever, this, this idea of the airport test. And if you were stuck at an airport, would you be happy spending five hours with this person? I guess the bike equivalent is traveling, but also getting on the bike and going on a long ride as well, because there can be a lot of silence between riders on long rides if they don't get Yeah, a long ride or <laughs> driving 16 hours across the country to go do a bike race in the team van. That's, uh, that can definitely uh, bring out the, the, the best and or worst in people. And then the last thing is, I mean, especially the level that we're doing at right now is we're basically making no money at this. And so it better be fun. And if it, if, if that's kind of one of your primary drivers, then you want to really get along and, and be able to form friendships with the guys you're hanging out with. Cause we're not, especially right now, none of us are making uh, 50 grand, hundred grand doing this. We're making nothing or very damn close to nothing. And uh, yeah, it's gotta be fun. So you're, Long-term thinking and approach to the team itself is not just limited to the riders. It kind of spreads out a little bit, and sponsorship starts to include this as well and the relationships with the different sponsors, which I'm going to kind of touch on in a moment. But I want to have a little dig into your development as a dealmaker and a visionary for the team. We have kind of spoken about your business history and that transferring over to the cycling world. Part of what you have stated is that you've been able to fast-track relationship building by actively seeking mentors for yourself and the program. You state, in addition to being able to leverage their experience, a good mentor or advisor can often serve as a reference when reaching out to a new connection. How do you go about finding these mentors? Well, let me start with some advice that a really smart uh, man once gave me, which is, if you ask for money, you'll get advice. And if you ask for advice, many times you'll get money. And so oftentimes the the people that end up helping me the most are ones that I've targeted to be a potential sponsor or someone to help the team. And if you approach them with the right mindset and kind of uh, goals, they'll, the, the idea is to get them excited about the team and to, and to hopefully build another advocate for your program. And, and you really start down that path before you even get close to asking them for, for money, for instance, which is obviously the ultimate goal for, for uh, most uh, sponsor pursuits. And so it's, hey, here's a guy that's very well connected, maybe because he's, um, his business uh, services a lot of other businesses in an in uh, industry or demographic that we're excited about. So um, I guess an example would be I've been talking to a lot of uh, marketing people um, and venture capitalists lately. And so when I'm talking to marketing people, it's like, hey, teach me about search engine optimization or how should we be approaching our social media strategy and, and really kind of questions like that. And at the same time, these are guys that all have uh, some passion for cycling so I can take them for a ride and tell them some interesting stories from the Peloton and teach them about bikes a little bit. And it's really a kind of a, it's a two-way relationship, right? It's not just one way or the other. And, and in the ones where I've hit that off, they become advocates for the team, whether or not they ever give a dollar to the program, they're helping in many, many other ways through introductions or kind of helping me um, bounce strategy off them, things like that. And there's, there's guys that I've become very, very good friends with simply because I started talking to them about the team and was able to, uh, inst- still some of my passion into them and it's it's someone where now hey i can go ride bikes with these guys and and say hey here's where i'm struggling what do you think and 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 oftentimes they're they're very excited to help so it's yeah it's it started by asking for advice and building those relationships and if you do that well the the the, the money part kind of just comes organically and naturally and not to say that it's easy i mean we're always 
we always seem to get a little bit less money than we want. But if you kind of look at it for the long term, kind of continuing to build those relationships and kind of that network of uh, advisors and advocates, like in, in the end, you know that you'll come out ahead and you just kind of have to keep telling yourself to have the confidence to know that's the case. Yeah, I hear a lot of what you're saying is regarding to just creating value and also people like talking about their topic that they know a lot about just kind of leveraging that but you're also adding a lot of value to here that isn't directly going to be translated into sponsorship dollars but there's a lot of goodwill and there's a lot of things around this that are also helping the team as well yeah let me actually give you a good story about that because after doing this for some time the team or myself have become kind of a hub for this network and so i had a a current friend call me for a reference on a on a uh, on an executive from a former sponsor that was looking for a job and so basically because he knew they sponsored our team and he trusted my opinion he's like hey how is this guy to deal with did he treat you fairly was he easy to work with because i'm thinking of partnering with him on a, on a fairly high level deal and and i was kind of flattered I was like hey like this is this is starting to work right like we actually provide value outside of just winning bike races now and that's that's really what you have to get to yeah, and if you're seen as a go-to person for anything in this network, then you become a very important person, which then has its benefits as well. You got it. So your approach to sponsors is understanding their motivation for sponsoring and then trying to add a unique and a real value proposition to their marketing and their bottom line, which you say is adding a minimum of 15% revenue on top of their spend for the team. Yeah, and so those num- those numbers come from just my experience working in public companies where if you're not getting at least that return in your investment, kind of shareholders tend to get disappointed with you because that's that's kind of the, right, if you look at just general stocks, that's kind of when years are going well, that's how well the S&P 500 does. So if you can't do better than that, they should just invest their money in the stock market. Um, and so those that kind of rule of thumb of a 15% return on capital comes from kind of the public company world. And so I kind of use that as a general rule of thumb when talking to these guys. And, and yeah, in the end, it's you have to if you're asking for real money, so you're not asking for $500 donations anymore, you're asking for a few more zeros on that, you have to be able to show them something better than just their, their name on a jersey. And 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 really the hard lesson, and I st- I'm still learning these lessons, but the, the hard lesson is, Winning bike races is fairly irrelevant to how effective you are for your sponsors. You can look at teams that have been in the peloton for very, very long periods of time and maintain their sponsors that don't win many races, but they sell a lot of the sponsor's product. Um, Maybe a a recent example is a team like Jelly Belly, which is one of the longest-running pro cycling teams around. I mean, Jelly Belly, from a sporting standpoint, is not the best pro cycling team in the U.S., and they rarely have been, if ever. But they sell a lot of jelly beans and they have a good branding message and Jelly Belly, the company, recognizes a return on that investment. And that and that's why they've been around so much longer than teams that have come in, done way better in the sport, but only lasted two or three years because they weren't able to show a kind of a long-term return on that sponsor. Um, and so for us, like the best example is like took it an industry sponsor. So our clothing supplier, Panache Cyclewear, where we work really hard to sell more clothing for Panache than they give to us as a team. And in and the last few years, we've been very successful at that, referring other teams and clubs to them to get custom clothing done or to help them with their retail sales or even with product development and things like that. I mean, there's areas outside of just pure sales, um, product development being a great one where you can really work with a sponsor closely. And if I was to add to that, I would say, 
the best sponsors are the ones that don't just write you a check or hand you product and walk away, but are actively engaged in, in the team. So Panache Cycleware, Felt Bicycles, these companies, they, they work with us kind of more, like you said, as part of the team and like, hey, let's talk about products and let's, how can we help raise the visibility of your team for you in addition to you raising the visibility of, of whatever uh, we're providing you. And really when you have someone that's actively working with you and isn't just writing a check and walking away, it works much, much better. So that's what we look for in our partners. I think this idea of the 15% just gives a really good number as to how much value tangibly you have to add because it seems like if you fall into the world of brand awareness, you just fall into that advertising world where 50% of what you're doing is working, but you just don't know which 50% it is. And as an individual, I mean, there's lots of teams out there that are looking for money and think they deserve free bikes. But if you think about what you actually have to give to that sponsor in return to justify those free bikes, it's fairly meaningful because, right, there's a cost to them to provide the bikes on top of everything else. And so let's say they they make $500 on the $1,000 bike they sell. Well, you have to sell quite a few bikes for them to kind of recoup the cost of their investment in your team. And that it's 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 something that's a little harder than most people realize. Like just, just riding around with some stickers isn't doing it. You have to kind of actively engage people. So do you have some quick and dirty ways that you've done things for sponsors? Um, I know you've done school visits, product vouchers, blog posts, any other kind of quick and dirty ones you can mention now? Yeah, I mean, the kind of the public outreach stuff is some of the most fun. And one of my favorites is instead of Thinking of your team as a rolling billboard, which is kind of the standard model. Hey, I got a bunch of logos on my car and on my jersey and I ride around and drive around with them. Is Think of yourself as more like a rolling coupon. And so we go to a lot of races, especially in downtown areas where the maybe it's a, a downtown criterium in the middle of a stage race. And there'll be lots of people that will come up and talk to us. Um, and instead of just kind of chatting with them, it's like, hey, I'm glad you like this. Here's a coupon for a free gallon of Horizon milk. Or here's a, um, some coupons for Einstein Brothers bagels. Or here's the local shop where you could test ride a felt. And, and really kind of think of yourself as this walking coupon that does lead generation. And when we do it right, um, some of our sponsors will actually work with us and we'll have coupons or codes that we can give away so they can track that return and quantify it. And if you can quantify it, it makes your life a whole lot easier in justifying that you did a good job with it, right? So kind of a, a quantified return. So something like a coupon code or kind of a, a number of turn-ins is a great way to prove that you're actually providing real value back to the sponsors so you can keep them, keep them interested. Part of the strategy you're talking about is really rider heavy. And it comes back to you're taking a professional approach to sponsorship management. And this kind of behavior has to flow through the team and the rider becomes the brand ambassador that's like you're saying is doing all these things is handing out different coupons and things is actively trying to find an opportunity to insert some value that's exactly right is being fast is necessary but not uh, sufficient you have to be able to brand yourself as an individual and advocate for your team and your sponsors and there's when we, on our team, the, the riders fit a kind of all spectrum. Some of them are very, very good with kind of genuine, active kind of social media work or talking to talking to the public. And some of them are kind of a little more stoic. And some of those guys, even if they're faster on the bike, if they aren't able to kind of handle the marketing side of it, may not make it because you need to be able to do both to properly represent a team, at least at the level we're doing it, where there isn't a team of PR people working for you, right? It's, it's me and the riders. The best example in the last couple of years, we're talking about Phil Guyman being, you know, the guy that finishes the ride and then plugs Bissell vacuum cleaners or whatever he does. He's very active. He's pushing very hard. Uh-huh. How do you instill this in people? Like how in the riders that you work with, 
do you look for it at the start when you're talking to them about coming onto the team or is it something that the riders themselves are just taking on board themselves it's something that I'm looking for maybe more now than I did in the past, mm-hmm. um, just as I've kind of learned, or especially over this year and talking to some of the um, newer marketing connections I've been making, is riders like Phil, what they do better than anything is they create a brand for themselves. I mean, people know Phil as the guy that likes cookies and has a fairly snarky and funny block, right? And and whether he wins a lot of races or not, he he's very well followed because he's He's amusing to read and he has interesting, genuine stories. Another great example of that would be someone like Jeremy Powers, who started as this kind of fairly mediocre uh, kind of road racer that built a really great cyclocross career and branded himself as a fairly interesting guy. His move starting the behind the barriers work was brilliant. And he's he's making a very, very good living for himself now because he was able to do that. So having the riders and teaching the riders how to kind of brand themselves and then turning that into a brand for the team that kind of controls these brands is, is really something that I'm looking at more and one of the things I'll be pushing on, for instance, uh, in 2015. Um, so that's a little bit of a newer kind of revelation for me, if you will, but something that I've seen other other people do really well. Um, if you've witnessed some of the work Optum Pro Cycling has done with their human-powered health, they've had some really kind of amusing videos uh, with that one, which is another take on kind of branding the team and then the riders within it. So, final question, how do you find some white space when you are the manager of a team to go out into social media and things? It seems saturated with team videos and quirky things and behind the scenes, but how do you actually do something that is unique and adds value? Where is your head at when you're thinking about how you're going to approach this as a team? That's a great question. It's something that I'm still learning myself personally. Um, But where I've kind of seen the best success is it has to be genuine. And by that, I mean posting a picture of my bicycle and then tagging the five sponsors, product sponsors, like at the end of that post is not really genuine, right? That's a little, uh, that's just kind of uh, link grabbing. But if I post a picture of my bike and I tell a story that's somewhat interesting, like, hey, I did this ride and I saw this, uh, I saw this moose or I saw a bear or, hey, I ran into um, so-and-so pro bike racer on the ride, that becomes a little more interesting. Or, hey, here's a school visit I did, and, and this is uh, Shirley who wants to get into bike racing, and she just rode to school for the first time. All of a sudden, there's a little bit something a little more interesting to the picture and, and kind of making it genuine, kind of having active conversations with, with the fans or with the sponsors or something where those posts are the ones that really take off and are interesting. The, one of the most popular photos that we posted this year wasn't really the best photo from the team standpoint because it was a picture of us after a crash when everyone was all torn up and we pushed our team leader up the hill to help him finish the race. But it was genuine. It's like, man, here's the whole team working together to get Emerson to the finish line. And everyone responded really well to that. And it was, it was one of the most popular kind of tweets or, or posts that we had all year because it was real. And that's, that's kind of the, the lesson there is, is the real, real experiences are, are what wins it in social media these days. People can tell the difference now. Yeah, absolutely. And that is a great point to end the show on because to stand on my soapbox just for a split second, I am kind of over the writers that stand up and just rattle off a whole bunch of sponsors with no context, with nothing behind it. It's very old world thinking and, and it doesn't transfer well into social media because people see straight through it. If if people want to find out what product someone's using or whatever, they will hunt and you know look in that picture to find out exactly what tie is being used or whatever. People will find out if they really want the products. Exactly. So it's about something else and it's, yeah, definitely the story is a big thing and I've seen that picture you're talking about and uh, 
it would have to be my favourite as well, actually, thinking about it, because it shows so much and it represents so much what the team is and it shows that your vision is actually working, which is kind of cool. So thanks for being on the show and, and sharing the inner workings of the team. I really appreciate your, your honesty, Nick. Yeah, it was fun. What is the best place to find out about the team or more about you? So to find out about the team, you can follow us on our website, at, which is horizonpanashcycling.com um, or on Twitter at Horizon Panache. And then my management company is Boulder Sports Management. And you can follow me at Ntragis on Twitter. Just quickly, here's a couple of lessons that I got from my talk with Nick. Firstly, for managers. And if you notice the riders that he's talking about, he chooses riders that have not necessarily been team leaders before. In fact, I don't think any of them have strictly been team leaders at any of the teams before they came to Nick's team. So why would you choose that? I think part of it may be less ego, so it's easier to blend into a team environment. But for me, it's more likely that the loyalty garnered by these riders would be huge. So giving someone a chance to shine, for me, is usually paid back with gratitude and in this team environment, it would be paid back by falling into their old role of helping other teammates. So they're experienced in that regard, and that's the best way they can pay back any trust or respect that's given to them as riders from the team. Also, when chasing sponsorship, it starts with a relationship. That's not a new concept at all, but while what we were talking about may seem like playing a game, it's really more about spreading yourself around and investing in relationships that might not pay off immediately. It's a great way of forming a solid network around yourself and the team and giving you optionality and leverage far beyond a one-year sponsorship check. And while we are on the topic of sponsors, it's definitely important to remember that the brand or the company that is sponsoring you is trying to tell a story and your team is the star. But as Nick said, it's not all about winning bike races. It's about thinking of ways that you can actually add real value. So if you start with that 15% on top of what you think the company will spend on the team and then you work backwards, you'll be able to have a tangible way to see how you can actually add value to the company. As an example of one of Nick's blog posts, He goes through this, and if a company was to spend, say, $10,000, then you need to make them $11,500 in return. So you need to figure out how you're going to do this. And if you break it down, if a company sells bagels, for example, and they're $4 per package, that's 2,875 packages that you have to sell for them. Brand awareness is one part, but it's hard to quantify brand awareness. Coupons, absolutely. Taking the time out to talk to people about products, absolutely. Absolutely. Nick has a great example on his blog about talking to a family about their food intake because they wanted to look inside the grocery bags of a cycling team. And he took the time to talk to them about their food and the team's food and in the end gave them some coupons and they're still buying products to this day. This approach definitely is not scalable, but it comes down to thinking long term or in a business sense, you're thinking more about the lifetime value of a customer rather than just the one-off sale. 
And let's switch it over to riders now. Riders, it's a team owner's market. We've seen that on the professional level. We've seen that Conti and below. And also, race results aren't enough. You need to brand yourself. Nick's two examples are perfect. And if you're in the US, you will know Phil Guyman and Jeremy Powell. These riders are big content producers, which does two things for them. It lets you get to know their personality a lot better, and it also allows them to tell stories where they can weave in different elements, including product. But as Nick says, you are not a rolling billboard anymore. For me, it comes down to being a context machine. You have to be actively looking for ways to add value even to someone on the side of the road and know just a photo with them won't do. And finally, relationships get you on teams. How do you do that? Find a mentor. But it's not that simple though. So think more about adding a lot of value to a lot of people. Always try and find places where you can add more value, help out, etc. While at the same time, asking experienced writers, managers, DSs for advice, People love giving advice and talking about topics that they know something about. So take advantage of that in a genuine way and you can't go wrong. Okay, now the tech hacks and product section. And this week we're talking about a product called the RevBox. It's actually called the RevBox Erg. It's a direct drive air resistance trainer. It looks huge and heavy and has a similar fan setup to the Le Monde Revolution trainer. And I'm not sure how they can claim that it's easy to transport at 11 kilograms because if you compare that to the Wahoo Kicker, Maybe. Wahoo Kicker is 21 kilograms, so there's a bit of a difference there. But you've got to think about the actual difference in capability and adding a real ERG function to the Wahoo Kicker where you can control power. There's none of that in this trainer. So I begin to question exactly who this trainer is for because it's the same price as the Kicker. I can't see this as a direct competitor, though. For me, I think that the market really is national or state sports institutes or big teams because it's claimed to provide unlimited resistance and it's only going to be pros or track sprinters that are capable of taking a normal trainer to its limit. So then when you start to think of it like that, you come up against the BT ATS indoor trainer from Australia, which is a little more expensive at, say, $2,000 approximately. So it starts to look a little better figuratively and literally when you are comparing the two. But definitely this thing belongs with the pros on the track where the noise will be drained out by the crowd. So if you want a direct drive trainer without the tech, then definitely for me, look elsewhere. Something like the Cyclops Silencer or the Elite Mule will be cheaper and probably easier to transport and enough resistance for your needs. And now let's get to that quote from the top of the show. It is, of course, Cadell Evans wrapping up his Euro Road career last week. I just wanted to say on the record, Cadell, thank you for the memories and what you have done for cycling in Australia and worldwide. You will be missed. You have been able to fulfill your potential, and I'm so, so happy for you. Enjoy retirement and whatever is going to come next. It's time now, probably for a little while, to stick your feet up, enjoy your family, and then start your next 
challenge. And that's it. You have been listening to the Semi Pro Performance Podcast. Remember to head over to semiprocycling.com forward slash teamwork wins races to find any links used in this week's episode. From there, you can click on any coaching link on the site or visit semiprocycling.com forward slash coaching for more information on our coaching packages. But till next week, get on your bike and enjoy the pain cave or the hurt box, whichever one you're into. 